the song, Oh Holy Night. And sometimes we sing songs and we think, I, I, we go past the words and we wonder, what does that really mean to sing the song, Oh Holy Night? Or what does it mean to understand the first Noel or O Come Emmanuel? And so tonight, I thought for a few minutes, I would just focus in on that song, Oh Holy Night. And, and we would learn a little bit more about that and a little bit more about the message. And we would understand in our own lives how we can really celebrate this king, this king of kings. The lyrics of the, of the song, O Holy Night, were first written by a Frenchman in 1847. And the song became popular instantly. But it created some controversy because the man who uh, created this song was asked by the Catholic Church to write the poem. But later, he defected from the church, and the composer of the music was said to be an unbeliever. And so the song was banned by the church in France for over two decades. But it was so beloved that eventually it was accepted. Within a few years, an American musician named John Sullivan Dwight translated O Holy Night into English, and it quickly found favor in America, especially in the North during the Civil War. And there is a wonderful message to this song. The first verse reminds us that there is reason for hope. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The Bible teaches that we have all sinned. We have all separated ourselves from God. In fact, we are all wallowing in sin and error. The word pining means yearning. That means we're longing for relief, relief from guilt and release from the fear of death. Jesus Christ came to earth to give us hope, to reconcile us with God and to give us eternal life. And that is a gift that's available to all people. And so it amazes me that even when it comes to this message of the baby in a manger and the life of Christ, that there are people who are offended by Jesus today. And they have been throughout, really, uh, all, of, all of time. And I never have understood why. Because Jesus Christ came to rescue us. A few weeks ago, Lisa and I took a cruise uh, from Miami, Florida to Mexico. And uh, the very first thing that I noticed be, beyond the size of the enormity of the boats was that all around the ship, right as you walk on the deck, there are these uh, huge, really, uh, lifeboats that are there for everybody. And you can just imagine as you're walking down the deck and you're looking over out to the sea, there might be some who might complain about those boats. And I'd be like, oh, those boats, they really obscure our view. We'd be able to see so much better if those boats weren't there. If they just didn't exist, we could see out in the ocean, walk hand in hand with our, with our lover, and we could see out in the ocean. It'd be so romantic. I didn't think that. When I got on there, I remembered the story of the Titanic. Amen? And if I'm out to sea, I would like a lifeboat to be there. No matter how ugly it is, no matter how much it blocks the view of the ocean, I was just very thankful that they were there. Because if the ship starts sinking, we need a rescue. And friends, the Bible says this world is sinking. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Christmas is not some sweet legend about a baby born in poverty and growing up, growing up in an inf to influence the world. No, this is a true diagnosis of our human condition. We are lost. We are sinking in sin. And without God, we are without hope. And so Jesus Christ came to rescue us. 
John writes these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. The next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does, does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And because of the fact, friends, that Jesus Christ came to rescue us, as the song says, the soul feels its worth. There is a thrill of hope, and the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Friends, there is hope, and there is reason for hope, but there's also reverence for God. The, 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 the chorus says, fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine when Christ was born. God is not the man upstairs. He is not our buddy. The Bible teaches there should be an awesome sense of reverence when we come into the presence of God. God called Moses from the burning bush and said, take off your sandals. The ground where you stand is holy ground. God told the Israelites as he was about to give them the Ten Commandments, don't even touch the mountain or you will die. The mountain is sacred because God's presence has been there. The Bible does say we're to be joyful in the presence of God, but we're not to come into the presence casually or flippantly. He is all-powerful, and we are weak. He is holy, and we're imperfect. He's omniscient, and we are limited in our intelligence. He is the ultimate judge. The psalmist writes, I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. The second stanza of O Holy Night talks about the reverence that we should have, and it talks about the Magi. It says, led by the light of a star sweetly gleaming, here came wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, and all our trials born to be our friend. Fall on your knees. And friends, when you look at the nativity scene, and you think about Christ and the innocence of the manger, also remember the awesomeness of God. God came to rescue us, and we should reverence Him. But the last verse teaches about relationship with others. It says, truly He taught us to love one another. Back in 1994, Lisa and I were married at Christmas time, December 17th, and we decided, much to the chagrin of her mother, that we would have no love songs in the wedding at all. It would just all be Christmas songs. And so the chorus beforehand, the trio of girls saying, uh, you know, in a meadow, uh, we will build a snowman. We will call him Parson Brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man. He'll say, I can do the job when I'm in town. Kind of sounds like a wedding song, doesn't it? So they sang that, and, and uh, we had other Christmas songs. And when we, they said, kiss the bride, the chorus sang, sang out, oh, and I'm not kidding. That's actually what happened. And as we walked down the aisle, they sang, glory to the world, the Lord. It was great. It was great. But in the middle of the wedding, we had another Christmas song. We did a communion service together, and we actually had a candle lighting service in the middle of this. And my brother Mark sang, oh, holy night, this song that we're singing today. And uh, the second stanza, we say, some people say, that's an interesting song. But boy, it's so fitting for a wedding as you celebrate Christ, but also that verse that says, truly he taught us to love one another. He taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. The reason John Sullivan Dwight loved this song so much and translated it into English is that because he was an ardent abolitionist. He hated slavery. He felt it was an evil. 
And so he wrote these lines. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. That's why this same psalm became so popular in the northern states, because it spoke out against slavery. And friends, Jesus Christ came not just to break down uh, the chains or the bonds of sin in our life. He also came to, to break the these barriers that we have with other individuals. That's why it says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. Think about the people who were there at the first Christmas. Shepherds were there, the poor and the uneducated. But the wise men were there as well, wealthy and the intellectuals. The elderly were included. An 84-year-old woman named Anna rejoiced at his birth, and an old prophet named Simeon held the Christ child before he died. Included in the first Christmas were the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the Gentiles and the Jews, the educated, the uneducated, men and women. God's love reached out to people from all walks of life. No one was excluded. And that's why I want to challenge you this year and every year as you come to the Christmas season, don't think about how you can just share love with your family and those around you, your friends. Share love with everybody. Break down barriers. Truly, he taught us to love one another. I read that when the Civil War was over, Abraham Lincoln entertained a former slave in the White House. And when the slave was served a hot cup of tea on a saucer, it was the first time he had ever seen a saucer. Not to his own fault. Not knowing what to do, the humble man awkwardly poured his tea from his cup into the saucer and he drank from the dish. But President Lincoln knew exactly what to do. He didn't want this man to be embarrassed and so he poured his tea into his dish too and he drank as well. And friends, instead of God humiliating us, he humbled himself. He became a servant for us. And we receive him by doing the same, for, we reverence him by doing the same for others. The Bible says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This song, O Holy Night, has meant so much to so many for so long. But did you know, in 1906, the very first time in history, a man's voice was broadcasted over the radio airwaves. Reginald Fessenden, a university professor in Pittsburgh, spoke in a microphone, and, the ra and radio was born. And you know the first words that were ever spoken on radio? He read, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the entire world would be taxed. And he told the Christmas story. Shocked radio operators on ships and astonished telegraph operators at newspapers sat stunned as their normal coded impulses. Uh, instead of that, they heard the voice of a man over radio airwaves. They couldn't believe it. It was like a miracle. But after finishing his recitation of the birth of Christ, Fessenden picked up his violin, and guess what he played? A Holy Night, the first song ever sent through the airwaves. And when the carol ended... So did the first broadcast, but not before God had opened up a new medium to be able to spread the message of Christ to the world. It's strange when you hear worship in unexpected places. Our backyard backs up to a farm. It's not a large farm, but there are animals back there. My dog reminds me of this all the time. We happen to buy like a, a herding dog, yeah, just our luck, and she barks all the time. But one of the reasons she barks is because at nighttime, the farmer from the barn plays music to calm down the animals. And you can hear it in our house. 
You know what he plays? 93.3. He plays worship music in his barn. And the other night, Lisa went out there, and you could hear it through our doors. You can't exactly hear the words, but you know there's something happening. She's, Lisa's been so fascinated by this guy. Show the back door, and there from the barn, there, he was playing 93.3, but it wasn't just worship music. It was Christmas worship music, and he was playing to his animals to help calm them down. And friends, that may seem strange, but it's not the first time that worship happened in a barn. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine. Tonight, we are celebrating through worship, but we're also going to celebrate through lighting of candles. And here in a moment, the ushers are going to come, and they're going to light one single candle and then from one candle every other candle is going to be lit and I would ask that you would just take your unlit candle and lean it over to the one that's lit next to you as the ushers come by and from one candle we're going to light the entire room and this is going to represent for all of us what it means for one light the light of Christ to be spread to the entire world the Bible says Jesus said I am the light of the world but then later he said you are the light of the world we're like the moon. We don't actually generate light. We just reflect it. And so tonight, we're going to reflect the light of Christ in this room. And we're going to use that as a very visible symbol to go out into our community and to be able to reflect the light and the love of Christ to the entire world. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the light that is life, the light of Christ. And tonight, God, I pray that as we have just a visual demonstration that it would be meaningful to us to be a moment of worship, a, a time to remember, God, what the light of the world is all about, what the King of Kings coming to earth means for us and to the world. We pray this together in Jesus' name.